Hey, good morning, everyone, and good morning for those who are obviously joining us online. I'm Pastor Jeff, and let me just say this. There are some messages that are fun and exciting. There are other messages that are of utmost importance, important. And today is one of those more serious, important messages that we all need to hear. When your child, when you need to get your child's attention and they're not paying attention, I remember it was never Bonnie, but it was Bonnie Elizabeth, right? First name and second name. When Jesus wanted the attention of those whom he was preaching He would say, verily, verily, and you're all ears. Well, what in the world does holy, holy, holy mean? Two times it appears in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah has a vision of heaven. And when John has his vision of heaven in Revelation chapter 4, Isaiah and John both see these living creatures with six wings flying above the throne of God, saying day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. What they were saying is repeating something three times not only emphasizes the Godhead or the Trinity, but what they were appealing to is they were emphasizing with strength and passion the supreme holiness of God. Our text comes from 1 Peter, where Peter reminds us, it is written, and where is it written? In Leviticus, three different times. Be holy, because I am holy. Now, how did I get on this subject of holiness? My last day at Cape May, I was on the beach early, reflecting, as I said last week, the faithfulness of God. We were talking about the faithfulness of God last week. And I was just meditating on my go-to verse, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And as I was just meditating, thinking about that, I asked myself, why are his works perfect? Why are all his ways just? How is it that he's a faithful God? How is it that he does no wrong? How is it that he's upright and just? How is it? And I'm sitting there, duh, because he's God. But why? Because he's God. But why? 
And what occurred to me is not only is he God, but he's holy. Now, what does that mean? God is holy. The word holy means separated, cut off, set apart. And when we say God is holy, what we're saying is God is separated. He's cut off from everything that is sinful and evil. John testifies God is light. In him there is no darkness. To say that God is holy is to say that there's not even a trace of evil about him. Because God is holy, there's no trace of evil in his character. No malice, no deceit, no deception, no ill will thinking, no unkind thoughts. He cannot lie. Why? Because he's holy. That's why his works are perfect. His ways are just. That's why he can do no wrong. Because there's not a trace, there's not an ounce, there's not a speck of evil in him. He's holy. Now on a numerous, a numerous occasions, Scripture testifies to the sinlessness of Christ. The writer to the Hebrews says that Christ was without sin. Peter declares he committed no sin. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, him who had no sin. John testifies, in him is no sin. But perhaps the greatest testimony is the words of Jesus himself. When he asked this question, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Whoa. Now, to understand this question, it's, it's not the failure to answer, but it's the, it's the, just him having to ask this question. He asked it to a group of Pharisees whom he was confronting with. He, he was arguing with. He just basically told these group of Pharisees that you are of your father, the devil, and you do the works that he desires. Can you imagine telling a group of people that you are the works of your father, the devil? And he looks them squarely in the eye and says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now, if there was ever a group of people who would want to accuse and find fault and point fingers, it would have been the Pharisees. But even the Pharisees kept quiet. Jesus asked this question in the presence of his disciples. The disciples were with him for a long time. They, they would know if there would be any inconsistencies, any wrongdoings, any hypocrisies. And Jesus in front of those who hated him, in front of those who he spent hours and days and years with, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? 
Now, when we talk about holiness and we talk about the Jesus being without sin, here's our first thought. Because he's God. Jesus, it was easy for Jesus to be sinless because he was God. But yet we learn in the scripture where it says in Philippians that God emptied himself and took on the form of man. And in our theology, we say 100% God, 100% man. And it wasn't so much his sinlessness, but what was it about his life that caused him to be without sin? Why is it that Jesus, who became a man, God who became man, lived a sinless life? Because of his obedience to the Father's will. Jesus says, I I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who has sent me. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And because Jesus, 100% man, was willing to, to submit to the will of his father through obedience, he lived a sinless life. In fact, to me, what speaks the loudest is where Jesus testifies himself and says, for I always do what pleases him. I always do what pleases him. Can you imagine with me for a moment? Living in a world where everybody did what pleased him. Come on. And someday we can look forward. Because in heaven where sin will not exist and evil will not exist, we will always be doing what pleases him. Can you imagine what heaven is going to be like when all of us are doing what pleases him? But then I thought about what a great verse. What a great verse to make this verse a life verse of your own. Every morning, God, I want to do what pleases you. Can you imagine living in a family where everybody was doing what pleased him? Can you imagine living, going to work in a place where, where uh, we're close? I mean, I, mean I, I thank God for the church, my staff, my secretaries. We're close to always doing what pleases him, maybe. (laughs) Can you imagine a church being part of a church where everybody did what pleased him? Oh, God, I want to do what pleases you because it is written, be holy. That's a command. Because I am holy. 
Now, whenever we talk about the holiness of God, sometimes sinless perfection will come up. And, you know, we talk about, is it possible to be perfect without sin? I think someday there's going to come a day when we're going to be in heaven where we're going to arrive at sinless perfection. And this sermon isn't about whether sinless sinless perfection is attainable here on earth. That's up for debate. But I think what happens this time is, well, because the old nature is in me and that sinful nature is in me and I live in a sinful world, it's just useless to try to live a holy life. So I'll just keep doing to live my life the way I'm trying to do it. And I think that's a cop-out. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort. Make every effort. We need to make an effort to live in peace with all men and to be for without holiness no man will see the Lord. When we talk about holiness we're talking about sanctification. Aren't you glad for salvation? Jesus comes, cleans you up, saves you, justifies you just as if you have not sinned because of his blood. But then begins the process of sanctification, being made holy as he is holy. And a lot, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go into, I believe this is a very basic Christian teaching. But that it's not experienced in life today. And the reason why is I came up just thinking about this There are three reasons why I think we have kind of strayed away from being made holy. First is this. Our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. What are you saying? Our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. We are more concerned with victory over sin than how sin grieves the heart of God. Let me explain. We get saved. How many times have you heard, Pastor, when I got saved within a week, I stopped cursing and I stopped doing this and I stopped doing that. Good for you. But when was the last time you heard, Pastor, when I got saved, there were things in my life that I stopped doing because I realized it grieved the heart of God. Now what I'm saying is this. We will never see sin correctly until we see it against God. All sin is against God. It's his law that's been broken. It's his authority that has been despised. But what happens a lot of times is because we are success-oriented, performance-oriented people, we always see sin as something to conquer. This, there's this in my life. There's that in my life. Then I just need to conquer it. No Instead of just conquering it, we need to see that thing in your life as something that grieves the heart of God because he is 
holy. And because he is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. And that very thing that you're doing grieves his heart. What I'm saying is God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, pastor. Well, hear me out. God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. And listen to me. Obedience is oriented towards God. Victory is oriented towards self. And what I fully believe is that when we are obedient to God's will, what is holiness? Holiness is obedience to the moral precepts that are in God's word. Holiness is, is obedience to the moral precepts that are in God's word. And as we are seeking to do that which pleases him, to, to obey his precepts, then you, as a byproduct, will enjoy victory over sin. Victory is a byproduct of obedience. But too many times we're always looking for victory without the obedience. Therefore, listen, Pharaoh, Balaam, King Saul, Judas, all confessed, I have sinned. But it was the prodigal son who says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And it was David, after his affair with Bathsheba, said, I have sinned against the Lord. It's not so much victory as it is obedience and seeing our sin not something to conquer, but seeing our sin as something that is offensive. Something that grieves the heart of God. And as we see that thing that grieves the heart of God, the more we'll walk in obedience. Secondly, we have a misunderstanding of living by faith. Now, what do you mean by that? Living by faith means that in order to be holy, well, there's nothing that we can do. Living by faith, we think that someday God will just wave his magic wand over, wand over Mark and make him holy. Wouldn't that be great, Gene? God just, it's, it's, it's an, God, I want to be holy. Well, boom, you're holy. And that it doesn't require any effort on our part. In fact, any effort on our part towards being holy. Well, that's seen of the flesh. Let me illustrate this point with an example from 32 years ago. And I'll just use the name Roger. Roger was a young man who would come to my office often and talk about his addiction to pornography. And back then it wasn't the internet, it was magazines and videos. 
One morning, I pulled up to church, and Roger was just early in the morning, pacing on the front porch of the church in Clifton. And I'm like, oh, no. Roger, what's wrong? Pastor, Pastor, I, I, just, need to, I just need to kneel at the altar. I just got to get in the church. I just need to pray. I, I just, I, Roger, what's wrong? Roger went on a bin. Pornography, tape, progression leads to physical. He'd gone on a binge and been down in Newark and had been with, in one night, three different prostitutes. True story. I'm like, Roger. Pastor, I know I'm to live by faith. I know that I'm to live by faith. But, and I just keep asking God to, to motivate me to stop. What? I just keep asking God to give me motivation to stop. And how's that working for you? And what I have found out, it's so much easier to ask God for help than it is for us to take responsibility for our own actions. Come on. I'm just living by faith. I'm asking God to, to, to motivate me to stop. And as I look through Scripture, there's no doubt that in this process of holiness, in this process of, 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 of being made holy, in this process of sanctification, there is a part that we are responsible for. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us throw off everything. There's a responsibility on our part that we have to throw off. Everything that, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race. There is an effort that we make on this part of living a holy life. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit and resist. Our action words. There are things that we need to do. We need to submit and we need to resist. The problem is we're so busy rebuking. And as I say, it's easier to ask God for help than take our own responsibility. How many know talk is cheap? But behind our words, there needs to be action. We can rebuke the devil all we want. But if we're not taking responsibility to resist him, Oh, well, let me go one. This was supposed to be a teaching, not preaching. <laughs> Make every effort. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. It doesn't sound like God just waving a, magic wand and making us spotless, but make every effort. How about this one? Put to death. King James uses the word mortify. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, that word mortify, Literally means 
to destroy the strength, vitality, and the functioning of. To deaden, to subdued. Scripture says, put to death, destroy the strength, the vitality, the function of. Subdued it, subdue it, deaden it. And you may be sitting there, but pastor, I have tried. Well, Paul also says this. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, if by the Spirit you put to death, how many know we have a partner in this process of sanctification? We have a partner in pursuing holiness, which is the Holy Spirit, the power of God that exists within inside of us, that as we do our part, He comes alongside of us and gives us the strength and the power to do our part, and we partner with Him, and we can overcome. God is holy and wants us to be holy. We must face that we have personal responsibility. And third, we do not take some sins seriously. We do not take some sin seriously. It's like in our mentality, we have characterized some sins that are just not acceptable. There are some sins, Pastor, that are just unacceptable. We have categorized. But then, you know, there are other sins that, you know, are sort of, well, they're tolerable. And before you know it, there are big sins and there are little sins. And the little sins, well, a little lie here, a little untruth, a little mistake. It's not going to hurt. But you'll never catch me committing adultery, Pastor. But telling you your sermon was great when it was horrible. There's an interesting book in the Bible called Songs of Solomon or Songs of Song. Songs of Song. And there's a really neat verse in there. Let me explain it to you. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyard. Our vineyards are that in bloom. Now, it's talking about a marital relationship. The, the, the vineyards that are in blooms are talking about a, a relationship that's thriving, that's living, that's growing. The blooms talk about how it's about ready to bear fruit. It's in the process. It's preparing to bear fruit. And because this relationship is healthy, strong, living, growing. 
ready to bear fruit. The warning goes out, hey, those foxes, those ugly foxes, you better take care of them because if we don't take care of them, they're going to destroy everything that we've had. But not only the foxes, but even the little fox, the little cute fox. Isn't it amazing how little puppies and, and kittens are cute and then they grow up? No. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking, and I'm not going any further. But even those things which are cute and seem small, little, insignificant, the writer says in a relationship, there are some things that are duh you need to get rid of, but there are other little things that you can't ignore because they have the same possibility of destroying your relationship. Those little things. Paul writes it this way in Galatians. When you're running a good race, you were running a good race, he tells the, the church at Galatia. You, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. And then Paul goes into this metaphor that he uses so many times, a little yeast, just a little yeast. Just that little package of yeast that seems so small when you put it into that big lump of dough with flour and and water. And just that little insignificant amount affects the whole batch of dough to rise. And Paul's talking about the false teaching that comes into a church. And just a little false teaching can affect the whole body. He also likens it unto the sin of pride. Just those little things. Maybe I'm taking this way too far. The other day I was on 195 and I looked down and I was like going a lot faster than I should be. I was like, whoa. Who's to say that the little civil laws aren't to be obeyed as well? Are they not God or given, God ordained? Romans 13 says authority has been given to us by God. And I got so convicted because I thought, dear Lord, God gave us the authority. God gave us authorities, those in rule. And really, when I'm breaking their authority, I'm breaking God's authority. Sometimes it's the little things that we need to pay attention to as well. That was for me. That was my own thing. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Will you? This is what I wrote out for myself, but I made it plural for all you guys. Will you, Pastor Jeff, begin to look at sin as an offense against the holy God? Don't worry if something about something to be conquered, something to, you know, this habit you need to break. But when you see sin in the eyes of God, it's an offense. Will you begin to take personal responsibility for your sin? We decide to obey God in all areas, however 
insignificant the issue may be, Because watch out for those little things. Because those little things can manifest and bring you down. Be holy. For I am holy. My prayer has been for the last four weeks, Lord, I just want to do what is pleasing to you. God, I just want to do what is pleasing to you. I probably have shared this. I know I've shared this before. It's been a long time since I've shared it. I'm going to close with this. Back in Bible college, Brother Grazier, in his Corinthians class, Boys, he would. He had this long goatee, and he would just sit there. Boys, I got three scripture verses that will teach you the difference between right and wrong. Let me share them with you. First comes from Corinthians six twelve. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Ask yourself this question: Is it helpful physically? Spiritually, mentally. Is it helpful physically, spiritually, mentally? Everything is permissible for me, but, not, but I will not be mastered by anything. Does it bring me under its power? Whoa. Pastor, I, sometimes in order to relax, I play video games. But has that Screen time mastered you? Are you under its power? Nothing wrong with Facebook, but if you're spending five hours on Facebook and only 20 minutes in prayer, hello, somebody, maybe we've come under the wrong master. Oh, this was supposed to be teaching, I'm sorry. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fail. Does it hurt others? You may not have a problem, but if it hurts others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we do should be for God's glory. Lord, in this pursuit of being made holy, of being sanctified, I just want to do what pleases you. Wouldn't that be a great mission statement for all of us? Would you stand? Oh.